I'm fine, Gerald. Joe, Joe, Joe Lewis. I'm Joe Lewis. Uh, you're, you're Joe Lewis. Okay. Joe, Joe, Lewis. Joe and Chad. Joe and Chad. Okay. And then there's one other person. You want to introduce yourselves? Yeah, I'm James Thomas. Nice to meet you. All right. We got, we got James, Joe, and Chad. That's right. Yes, sir. Welcome yeah, to the All show. right. Well, that's good. So <laughs> here we are. Yeah, I know. Just We're the four of us. Just the four of us. We're going to have a good time, sir. We've done this with a lot of people, but I can so safely... Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Chad. And then I'll I was going to say, should I do yes, the should we, yes, should, Come on, guys. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> should we do an introduction we're first? Too, we, we're, we're I'll, I'll, I'll be the host. I'll be the host, and you guys can tell me about your lives, okay? <laughs> it's boring as fuck, dude. <laughs> Where are you guys calling from? Kentucky. Uh, I've been in Kentucky. Oh, I like really? it. Yeah. Where at? We're in Lexington. I think I've been through there once yeah. or twice we, over we, the years. We all work at university jobs, so we all work in higher ed, higher education. So you like you work at the bookshop and stuff like that? <laughs> kind of. I'm uh, I'm the director of academic advising. James, I'm a professor of of higher education. And Chad? Oh man, highfalutin, highfalutin titles. Oh all no, right. it doesn't mean anything. I'm just, I, I'm just an average. I'm just an average Joe. Okay, I'm sitting out here in my lounge, looking at the pool and saying, hey, how are you? Well, we're excited about you, the pool. But, Chad, you were going to say something, then we'll get started. Uh, no, I was just going to say, uh, should we do an introduction Please, to Chad. who we're talking to today? Please, Chad. Okay. No, 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 record? No, 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 no. I heard, record I heard. that later and put it, put it in later. <laughs> okay? Okay, that works. I don't want to be sit, sit, sitting here through an introduction. I know who I am. <laughs> well, you know who you are. But we, this will be episode 136, 137. I'm not for sure yet. And can I tell you, and this is kind of kissing your ass and kind of not at the same Here's the uh, blowing the smoke right up my ass. Okay, right go ahead. Ass, Do it. Right. You, nobody has been on the show that has the filmography that you do. No one has been on the show that has the amount of movies under their belt that you do. No one. I, I I did quite a few, and I'm still working. If I know. Fucking goddamn coronavirus would disappear. I could keep get back to work, but uh, you know how it is. Oh, I mean, we know. You have seriously made a movie from from all the way from. You have not stopped making movies from 1986 to now. I mean, every year you're just. And that's just I, as the director. I, made, I think I, I made my first movie in 80, 84. Right. Right. And, and I made Empire. a film called The Lost The Lost Empire in eighty four. But I, I I'd written some movies before that, like Screwballs and uh, uh Sorceress and Forbidden World. Right. And and you know I worked my way up to action and cut. We we work really hard of trying not to ask the questions that everybody asks. But the one uh, if you do I'll hang up. Okay. <laughs> I know. The one question I have, and this, because I often like to start at the beginning, but this isn't at the beginning. When it comes to pseudonyms, how do you pick which movie you're going to use a pseudonym for, and how do you pick which movie you're going to be Jim? Oh, uh, I've answered this a million times. Here's oh, the, I'm so sorry. For, I'm so sorry. In, 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 one, in a, a couple of years there, I was making six, seven films a year. Right. Okay? Right. Between writing and directing. Yep. And I couldn't put my name on everything. 
Right. So they asked me to come up with some alternative names that so it when they went to the buyers with with uh, their films that they wouldn't the buyers wouldn't just say Jim Wynorski, Jim Wynorski, Jim Wynorski. So I came up with a couple of other pseudonyms that I used. Um and uh and uh, IMDB uh, recognized them all and, and I, I think there's still a few out there that the IMDB hasn't caught and that's that's good. Well, I'll tell you, the follow-up to this is something you probably haven't been asked before. James, go ahead. I, I just had to, I have to ask, because as, as a fan of the good, the bad, and the ugly, Art Stanton, is that one Art that you I used that a couple of times on, in the, I think around the beginning of the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. And I had them, I had that name removed from the two films I put them on, I put that title on. I hadn't removed them, put, hadn't put my original name back after a while. And that was, I think I had our stand on Sorority House Massacre 2 and yeah. Hard to Die. But uh, yeah, I believe that name, my name, my, my, my name has been restored to those films over the years. Okay. Because so I like those movies. Well, yeah, and we're huge fans of the good and the bad and the ugly. So what we always experience is... Well, who isn't? Come on, it's one of the best songs ever made. <laughs> except, I, except I prefer for a few dollars more. Do you really? Yes. Huh. Of the three Eastwood Man With No Name films, for a few dollars more is at the top. Why is then that? Then Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, then Fistful of Dollars. Hmm. Why is that, sir? My personal preference. Just a personal. I'd problem. rather I'd rather I'd rather watch for a few dollars more than the good, the bad, and the ugly. If I had a choice, if I had a choice. Okay. I just like I like that film, probably because it's the first one I saw back in the day as a okay. kid. Right. So how did you end up? And we this is I asked a lot, but I do want to start at the beginning a little bit. How did you? When did you make your journey to Hollywood? And what was what maybe were some of the movies that you just said, I have to go make movies that made you want to go make movies? I'll, I'll, I'll retrace the steps to, to New York uh, in the, in the, okay. in the sixties uh, and seventies, I was growing up. Right. And I was watching every horror movie you could make or watch. It was on TV and I, and I'd go out of my way, circle the titles in the TV guide and watch them all because I loved them. Right. Okay, and uh, my career was going to go into—I was going to go into advertising. Mm -hmm. And when I graduated college, I did go into advertising. I worked for Doubleday Books for—I don't know—three or four years, uh, and I was the head of the science fiction book club, and I was just doing stuff. You know, I was, I was having a good time, and. In 1977, they uh, said we, we we're going to fly you out to L.A. I want because they, uh, they were doing a, a movie edition tie-in with Star Wars, mm -hmm. which I hadn't seen and nobody had seen. So I flew out to L.A. on 20th Century Fox's dime. They put mm -hmm. me up. They shipped the models. Didn't show me a frame of film from the from the from the picture, but. You know, I came back and I got, and I was in love with LA. I just said, wow, hot chicks, 
lots of bunny <laughs> and it doesn't get cold. Okay. Right. So in 77, right after Star Wars opened, I saw it and I said, wow, this is a great film. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to pack it in. And I, I left science fiction book club and double day. And I traveled to LA, uh, hoping I'd get a job, but I did not get a job that I wanted. I got a job, um, you know, menial job in, in Hollywood, carrying film cans around, which is not an, not an ideal job, but you know, somebody's got to do it. And connection. And yeah, well, I, I worked my way up over the years between 77 and 80. Um, I worked for a bunch of different people and I worked my way up to a point where I was, you know, making a little money, but I hadn't written anything yet. And I hadn't, uh, I hadn't uh, directed anything yet. Uh, so in 1980, I think it was, or yeah, I think it was 80. Um, I got a job with 20th century Fox. I was the location manager, um, for a, a long forgotten series called breaking away with uh, Sean Cassidy. Yeah. And they were filming it. They were filming it in, um, Atlanta or Savannah, Georgia. I'm sorry, Savannah, Georgia. And, um, so they put me down there. And I had a great time. Um, but coincidentally with my arrival there, somebody started making obscene phone calls to the on the campus. And Fox thought it was me. And my, and it wasn't. I'd take credit for it if I, if I, if I had done it, but I didn't. Well, Mr. Ronorski, really, why did they think it was you? I was the only new person on campus. Okay. I was the only new person on campus. Suddenly, with my arrival, someone started making obscene phone calls to all these sorority houses. And I had no, I had, they had no proof it was me. Huh. But the producer of the show, who happened to be this old, you know, classic, classically trained guy. His name was Herbert Leonard, and he had produced shows like Ring Ten Ten and Route Sixty Six. And he had a he is he went back to the old serials. And I I had a I I had a fondness for working with him because he was a good guy. Uh -huh. And he said and he took and called me into his office, you know, which was at that hotel we were staying at. He says I gotta let you go. They, they, Fox wants me to let you go. And I said, oh, man. I said, she, he said, I know, I know, I know it's not you, but I got to do it. And I'm, I, I won't bring it back to Hollywood. No one's ever going to know. And I said, oh, hopefully, you know. Uh -huh. And he gave me two weeks severance pay, and he put me on a plane first class back to L.A. And in the first class cabin, I was telling this story to a nice lady who was there. And she says, you know, my husband knows Roger Corman. I could probably get you a meeting with him next week. And I was like, 
flabbergasted. I said, I would love that. So when I landed in L.A., this lady was true to her word, and she got me a meeting with Roger Corman the following week. And when I walked into his office, he saw my advertising work for AA Science Fiction Book Club, which was kind of right up his alley. And he had just lost his publicity guy, so I was hired at a great salary. And I started the following day. And I went downstairs, got drunk in a bar. <laughs> and once I had once I had Corman's ear, I was starting to write. You know, I wrote scripts scripts for him. I wrote for Ben World, Sorceress, Screwballs, and um, then I got a chance to direct Lost Empire. Right. And uh, I took it from there. And the rest is history. It's extremely fortuitous, though. I mean, what are the odds? Yeah, if if I had not been fired, right, I wouldn't have been on that plane. And it just proved to me <clears throat> that <laughs> success is not all talent. It's a matter of talent and being in the right place at the right time. At the right place at the right time. Yeah. What? You have such a long filmography, and we're going to get to it in a few minutes. I'm curious. Oh, my God. It's going to take you fucking five hours. <laughs> Man, we won't <laughs> go, go through them all. You, you are doing a right. solid, and we are huge fans. But I'm curious, have you always, because you have different films throughout your career, which is fantastic, but was horror always the one that you wanted to make? No, no. I, I like doing every genre. Right. Yeah. I, I like pretty much covered because if you if film. you if you stay with if you stay with horror, you get you know jaded by it. Right. I mean, you've even done. So I never felt. Go ahead. Sorry. I never felt like you know I had to do a horror film. I did a bunch of them, but I didn't. You know, they're different. If you look at them, mm -hmm. most of them are, are quite different from normal horror films. Right. Like for instance, so, I wouldn't consider chopping chopping wall a horror film. Well, no, I, I don't think it. I think I think that is a. It's kind of your take on the society at the time that mall that mall culture. Honestly, because I just I'd actually just finished watching it when we called you the first time. I was actually revisiting it, and man, it's still it's still an entertaining film to this day. And and the rope and the robots are still amazing. Even though, like I said, they I, were I think really cool. Yeah, yeah they and, were. And what I think is funny about Chopping Mall, too, is the fact that um, I've seen several rankings of, you know, how the posters at that time and that robot on the poster doesn't fit the robot that's actually in the movie. And personally, I think the robots in the movie are cooler than the one that's on the poster. <laughs> well, the one on, there's, there's like three posters for that film. <laughs> oh, there's the there's the one that says Killbox. Yep. And that was and that was that's got the robot right in the foreground. Okay. And then there's Chopping Mall, which is the one that was done um, by Corman's office. And then there was another one done by Vestra and for, okay. for their subsidiary, Lightning Video. Oh, so okay. there was three. There was three different posters. Plus a lot of great foreign art, you know? A lot yeah. of foreign art. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, James is holding up the poster right now so that we can see all of them as we're going through. 
So, uh, can you can you talk to me about the you know about making that movie because that's that was your set, I believe if I'm not mistaken that was your second movie after Lost Empire if I'm not mistaken. It was the it was the first movie after Lost Empire. Yeah, yep. that, that's what I meant. Your second movie after uh, yeah 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 your, your first movie after Lost Empire. It was, and, my, it was my second movie in total. Right. I done I done Lost Empire and then I got a chance because Bestron called uh, Julie Corman, Roger's wife, right, and said we want we want a film about a killer in a mall and. And she said, and she said to me, uh, and I know you just directed something. If you, if you write a good story, I'll let you direct it. So I said, so, okay. And I, I'm but I did not want to write that, a, they were I talking to like an actual killer, like guy with a butcher knife. So how did you spin it to? Well, I knew there'd been a film called Phantom of the Robots Mall gone. already. Okay? Yeah. And I didn't want to do Phantom of the Mall, you know, again. So I said, I want to take mall culture as, as, as it existed then mm-hmm. and do a little satire on it. And um, so I ripped off a, a film from the 50s that I used to love uh, called uh, GOG, GOG. I know probably, oh. probably too young to remember it, but there was a movie called GOG in the 50s. We're familiar with it. By Ivan, Ivan Tours. And it was about a, a scientific complex in Arizona that was like seven levels below the earth. And it was all run by a supercomputer. And they had these two robots uh, that looked very similar to my robots, except they were a little bit clunkier. <laughs> and, and the Russian spaceship overhead gets control of the computer and uses these robots to you know, wipe out people in the, uh, in the complex. And I said to my writing partner, Steve Mitchell, I said, let's just take that and, and, and make it a mall, go up three floors instead of down seven and make, add another robot and make the three security robots, one for each floor. And we sent the treatment to Vestron and they loved it. And they said, go ahead with this. And so Steve and I wrote that in about, I don't know, about a month. And uh, we had a lot of fun writing it. So when you're working on your process, because you've written, you've produced, you've worked on all sides of it, is there a specific part that you enjoy? Do you just enjoy the directing? Do you enjoy the writing? Which is your favorite part? I'm curious. You know, I have no favorite part. Really, I, I I enjoy writing because that's creating it out of nothing. Yes, and and I, I enjoy uh, finding the way to do it. Then, which is pre-production, and then then doing it. It's the most difficult part, but it's a lot of fun if you're you know you're creating exactly what you know you had in mind. You you're actually creating it that are real. And then um, post <clears throat> is another place where, you know, it all comes together. And, uh, you know, where the music is added, the effects are added, opticals are done. So, and then, then the, the final thing is when you, when you mix it 
and it all comes together. And then that one night when you take it out to um, some theater where nobody you know is there and show it to some people. Right. Now, when we, sh- when we showed Killbox to uh-huh. some people in, in Arizona one evening, nobody showed up. Really? Nobody. Handful of people showed up. And they sat there and watched it, but nobody showed up. And we tried it again the following weekend, and nobody showed up again. This was in Phoenix, I think. And Roger said, well, this film's got everything we need, but nobody's coming in. And he says, let's go screen it again. And we went to the screening room and watched it again. And while we're in the screening room, there's a guy changing light bulbs uh, in the in the screening room, in the dark. And he's there while we're screening the movie. And then the lights come up. And Roger says, well, I don't know what we, what we can't, we can do to this to make it different. And uh, can we call it something else? And then the guy that was changing light bulbs turns around and he says, why don't you just call it Chopping Mall? <laughs> <laughs> and when, and then Roger looked at me and he said, we're half off is just the beginning. And then I said, where shopping costs you an arm and a leg. <laughs> and he said, he said, go make that poster. So we made the poster. Took me about another two weeks to get some artwork done and, and get new posters. And we cut a new trailer. And we, we premiered it in Arizona again. I forgot where, but, you know, Tempe or someplace like that. You know, and it packed, we packed the house. You know, and everybody enjoyed it and clapped and had a great time. Right. And it proved to me that titles mean a lot and conceptualizing your movie means a lot. Right. If you don't have a good concept that the audience perceives, then you got a dead dead movie. So So now so now there were there were posters called Killbox, we threw them all out except I think I kept a hundred of them. And then we made a chopping mall, and that did very well theatrically. And then Gestron loved it, and they put it out in video stores in, I think, 85 or 86. And it went through the roof. It was in every video store possible across this country. And so it was, it was quite a hit. And it's, it's, it's become more and more of a cult hit over the years. Yeah. Oh, we've talked to Barbara Crampton about it. We've talked to many, many others. It 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 endures through the decades. Do you under do you? I, I think yeah, I think people, you know, it was a slash movie where the kids just don't run. Right. They say, okay, we're gonna fight back, and they get guns and they get all their weapons and they they they, they try hard to to you know get the robots. And so it's it's a it's a fight back, and they're they're stuck in a, they're stuck in, a, in an environment that was familiar to every kid in the world back in the eighties, and still has a a resonance today. So um, I do have a question about filmmaking because, uh, and I'm gonna bounce off with uh, Joe's question because I am kind of curious because, like I said, you have made movies nonstop for over four decades at this point. And Holy shit. 
<laughs> but that imagine, is that's a fantastic thing, sir. That yeah. is a hell of a legacy. And the big thing is, in that time frame, the way films are made has changed drastically. And I wanted, I was kind of curious about your take on that aspect of it and how, how you've managed to. Let me tell you, let me thrive. tell you, films, they have, things have changed, of course. You know, films gone, digital's in, all this other stuff. But films have not changed at all in terms of the way you construct them. Right. You've got to make a good film to be successful. You've got to make a good film. You got you got to appease an audience, and you're going to have good characters, and you got to have a great story. And if you don't have a great character, great characters, and a good story, then you then you then I don't care how much technology you have, it still stinks. I mean, I can look at Justice League. That's a perfect example. God, yeah. Come on. They had they had millions and millions and millions of dollars and they still fucked it up. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny. Come uh, on. You were talk, it's very funny that you bring that up because just prior when you were talking about, you know, the fact that the title makes the movie or helps make the movie. And, you know, we saw that this year, um, how, how, how wrong that can go when the birds of prey and the emancipation of the one Harley Quinn. I still think I got that title wrong, but that uh, title know, alone I, I, killed I, I, that movie. I, I didn't want to see that. Oh, okay. I didn't want to see that. That looked so bad. It looked so fucking bad. I mean, I said, it, got, gonna... it, it got so many good reviews and it just tanked. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot well, of it says it's because of the title. Audience perception, my friend. Yeah. Audience perception. Right. If the audience doesn't perceive it as something they want to see, they're not going to go. Look at that fucking Harrison Ford movie. Oh, the Call of the Wild? Yeah. Come on. You don't make a dog movie with a CGI dog. You just don't. Yeah. Everything's got to be CGI. You can't just have a CGI dog. Well, the issue is, is... Go ahead. I'm just saying... That movie tanked, tanked, and and it deservedly so. I, I you know, personally didn't see the it. Money. Well, you the, didn't want to see it, but well, because I was forced the, to read the, it. The in last Flex Terminator movie, the the ter- last Terminator movie, they kill off the the, the 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 main guy from the rest of the story in in the first little little part of the movie and then you're stuck with some chick that you don't know you don't know and and what's all that about they they were making i thought they were making that up as they went along right <laughs> so there is a ton of questions i could ask you about every your movie and i like we said we could be here forever and i don't want to do that i would like to ask yeah. you uh, there's two people and we each have some people we want to ask you about but the two that i'm hoping that not every one of them you get asked yeah about i fucked her I fucked her. I fucked her. No, no, no. I really am not going to ask that. What? Although, by Good. the way, if I usually I'm not going to answer because I'm not going to answer it. <laughs> usually, what we do when we open these up because the stuff are differently is I do a lot of cons. I do a lot of moderating in these panels, and I always have the same two questions: What do you want to talk about, and what do you don't want to talk about? And you're going to find this funny because you're a man of a certain age. 
uh, a few years ago. Oh shit, Chad, who is the million dollar man? Um, um, Lee, Majors. Million dollar Lee Majors man. did not want to talk about ex-wives unless it was fair. So you might find that slightly funny. Anyway, uh, right before we got on stage, I, you worked with Howard Morris. And Howard Morris yes. is one of the best character actors. Not only was he a director of television, and people probably don't even know that, but he's one of the best character actors ever. Can you just talk about a little bit about working with Her Howard Morris and maybe a story or two, if you have one? If you don't, I understand. Uh, how, that, that, he, I hired Howard on this movie called Transylvania Twist. Yeah, mm -hmm. I know. And um, I knew of his, his reputation. I knew that he had directed some of my favorite episodes of the Andy Griffith show. Me as well. And so when he was on set, I was, I was just going to town and I'm just asking him about this, about that. And, he, and I said, and, and I said, just give me that old, the old professor. Okay. <laughs> and he gave me the old professor in spades and he was a great guy. Um, when we had our rap party, which was the night of the, of, of our rap, we had a big party at the studio. I never wanted that film to end. It was just so many great character actors. Well, you had Angus like, Scrim, you, know, you had Robert Vaughn. I mean, it just goes on and on and Steve, on. Steve, Steve, Fra Steve Franken. Yeah. Uh, Arthur, Arthur Roberts, Clement von Frankenstein. I had, I had everybody. You did. Everybody that, that, that I could just, you know, corral. And they were all there. They were all so with it because I was making a wacky comedy. Right. And, and so, yeah, it was a lot of fun to make that movie. I can imagine. And Howard was a, Howard was a, was a, was a, was a charm. He was, he was a charm. I loved, I loved working with him. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I know probably most of our audience is going to remember him as Ernest T. Bass, but just so people know, that's not where it ended. I mean, not only was he a great voice actor, he did a lot of voice work for animation over the years, but he, he was a director. And I don't think people even know that today. Or most folks. Oh, I, I, knew, I, knew when I knew when I hired him, I said, he, this guy directed some of my favorite episodes. Of, like, Agreed. I think he also directed um, uh, a bunch of Dick Van Dykes that were, that yes. were great. That's absolutely correct. <clears throat> Sorry. So, uh, so, go ahead. Uh, well, uh, so, oh. All right, so that's Howard Morris. He's a good guy. I'm sorry he passed away. Yeah, no, I know. We were, we were, we were just going back and forth because we have about three more, but go ahead. Well, I, 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 I am a fan of a certain author that dedicated a book to you uh, called Troublemakers. Harlan Ellison? Yes, oh, I was yeah. wondering um, how you encountered Harlan, and because he, he refers to you, I believe, in the dedication as uh, his long-term partner in crime. It's so true. I, was, uh, I, I, I met him. I, I met him at a young. I met him when we were both young. He was at a convention, <laughs> and he was doing something wrong in a in a hallway, and I was and I, I helped him. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to tell? Yeah, I'm not going to say. Well, I'm not going to say what it was, but it, oh, he, was, he was doing something. Doing something, you know illegally wrong <laughs> and uh you know and I, and I helped them and, and then there was a point where we were going down and i didn't know he who he was i just helped 
you just wanted and, to help him. And then, and then the following day at the convention, I was going down an elevator, and he was in the elevator, and I and I gave him a nod. And he took a pen out of my pocket, cleaned his pipe with his, with the pen, and I let it go. I let it go. And over the years, I became very good friends with him. He helped me when I first came out to L.A., got me with one of his agents, which didn't work out, but that's not his fault. And we were both fans of Ennio Morricone. Right. Um. I got him into liking Ennio and he would write to Ennio. And so when something came out that I liked, I would always advise him and he would always call me and say, do you have this or that? And I would say, probably usually I say yes. And I would make him a tape or a, or a, a CDR. So that's how I knew Harlan. He was a good guy. He yeah. was. He hit one of us with a mirror once, and he told me to go fuck myself. So we actually all have uh, Harlan stories. But those are great I mean, stories. He, he was. He was like that. But he, you know, I'm like that. Yeah. yeah. I'm, being, I'm being. I'm being nice tonight. <laughs> and we COVID. appreciate it. We appreciate it. But and, and because we admire you, but we also admire Ellison. We, we he was very sweet to us later on afterwards, but, uh, yes, Harlan, yeah. was, Harlan was a great, he was his own curmudgeon. He was his own person. There, there will never, there, literally. I spent never, a lot of fun. I spent a lot of fun time up at his, <laughs> a lot of fun time up at his house. Yeah. I don't know who owns it now, but it's probably his wife or something. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I believe it's Susan. Uh, yeah. Susan, Susan. still is still there. Yeah, yeah. Well, good. That's good. So, um, for me, myself, I do want to talk about, and this is uh, this is what uh, inspired me to contact you. Is I got on Amazon Prime and I found the movie, and I, I when I I, I I messaged you about this. This is true. I found the movie that was pretty much what made what spawned my love of comics and the titular character that you that is in this movie, Return of Swamp Thing. And I watched it again, you know, I was like, oh, I, I was kind of timid to watch it because of the fact that I loved it so much as a kid. I watched it over and over and over again. I wore out the VHS copy that I had. <laughs> I, wore, I watched it so much. And if it, if it still doesn't hold up to this day. I'm sorry, um, Chad, you so, saw us. Go ahead. I was just saying, I couldn't stop watching that tea. I just could not stop watching it. And I, it, I, it was bringing back so many amazing memories of my childhood watching that movie. And I just kind of wanted to hear you, you talk about it and how you got to actually make Swamp Thing. And, and they the fact called that, me. Um, and I said, yes. Hear me, everybody's pause. Okay. <laughs> right. They called me and I said, yes. And. You know, we went down and filmed it in Georgia. I'm sorry, yeah. everything froze up. <laughs> what? Uh, my, uh, I, had, uh, I had some, some connectivity issues. issues. Yeah, so I had to switch the devices. All right, are you ready to hear me yeah, respond? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Yes, sir, go for it. Yeah, well, they called me, asked me if I wanted to direct it. I said yes. Came to a nice financial deal, and I went. Off, I was off to Georgia. And I cast most of the film in Georgia. Some of it here, 
Heather was obtained here, of course, um, as well as as Joey Segal and uh, Louis Jordan, who I hate. Um, and I brought my current girlfriend, Monique Gabrielle, to the set to play Miss Poinsettia. Yeah. And uh, I also um, lobbied for Sarah Douglas because I had met her at a party and I thought she was hot. And, and I said she could play Louis' love interest and or Arcane's love interest. So altogether, I brought in, you know, a lot of them. And then we went to Georgia and we cast those two kids. And um, we got some stunt people from, you know, you know Hollywood to come out. Right. And it was it was a it was a long shoot. It was like five weeks in the summer when it was fucking hot. And <laughs> we shot that in, in um, Savannah, Georgia. And you know it was it was hot. And there was gators and there was everything. <laughs> so. We had to, you know, <clears throat> put in. We had to put uh, uh, barbed wire in the, in the in the water so that you could go in the water without getting eaten by a crocodile. And uh, they, we had guys with guns on on rocks, ready to try to shoot any gator that tried to get through the the barbed wire. So it was it was a lot of fun getting in that water at night. <laughs> and, <laughs> You know, you'd bump into a log or something under the, underneath the water, and you'd you'd jump eight eight feet out of the water just because you didn't know what you hit. Well, and but you know, it was great. You I, I, the, the script the script was all I rewrote the, the script with uh, another actor friend of mine, John Terleski, who who was uncredited and he wasn't in the movie, but he was in Chopping Mall and Death Stalker too. And he he'd been in a couple of other other movies, but when we were here in L.A., he he and I rewrote that script. We added all the kids stuff, the um, you know the the two kids, all the scenes with the two kids were were added after I came on board. So, and I thought some of that kid stuff was the best stuff in the movie. Oh, it is. It 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 it's it's honestly for me, it's what makes the movie the com the comedic the comedic timing of those two kids and the lines delivered. I was sitting here laughing the other day on the couch, and I, that immediately after that movie was over, that's when I looked you up and said, "I want to see if you can get it, if I can get him on the show." But and 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 Return to Swamp Thing is one of those rare instances where the sequel is completely different than the original movie. Like the original movie. Yeah, well, the um, original movie. You know, I got to give Wes Craven credit. He got yeah. the first one done. Right. Yes. And he did it with a. He did it with much more, much more serious than right. I gave. I gave it. I gave it a. The way I felt Swamp Thing should be. And. And it so I threw a lot of humor. Yeah. I threw a lot of humor at it, and, uh, you know, I told him I said we can't use that old costume. Throw it in the garbage. And they did, thankfully. Yeah. And they, had, they had, they and they brought in some new new guy to do it, and they did a great job. I was very pleased with the costume. And, I was going to say uh, the costume's amazing. And honestly, the movie poster doesn't actually show off that costume, in my opinion. Well, it's Harvey Weinstein for crying out fucking loud! <laughs> Come on. 
<laughs> well, he designed you? that crappy poster. Come on. Yeah. Uh, did you read any of the comics before you did the movie? Comments? The comics. Comics. The comic the books, comic books. For the, from Swamp Thing. Oh, yeah. I used to read the comics, yeah. Okay, good, good, good. I was interested. In fact, I, 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 I went and bought, like, issues one through 40. Okay. Again. And I ripped ripped them up, ripped the covers up to to make the, the opening credits. Right. Yeah, that, that, that opening credits song. actually what, and that opening credits is actually what introduced me to Credence, so thank you for that, too. <laughs> oh, there you go. That was a... <laughs> That was that, when they when they got that. I think they paid ten grand for that song. It was well worth it. Wow! Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that that movie did three things for me. It made me love Swamp Thing. It made me enjoy Credence, and the lifelong crush on, on Heather Locklear. So thank you for all three of those. <laughs> all right. Well, she was she was a, she was a sweetheart. Yeah. She was a full sweetheart. And and and, and 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 I had a great time working with her. Uh, the cops in the town loved her. They would take her out joyriding in, the, in their in their police cars. <laughs> and um, I went along a couple times. I mean, I had I was there with Monique Gabriel, who's no slouch. Right. And, right. And, and 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 Heather was there with Tommy Lee. <laughs> so so we were we were going out at night, getting drunk. You know, and doing everything we could possibly do to get arrested, but we weren't because we were Heather Locklear and uh, team. So there you go. Awesome. Well, let's talk about a little bit about that. How has the culture changed in Hollywood since the '80s till now? Because you were doing a lot of these movies, and a lot, and like you said, Heather Locklear was dating Tommy Lee, so you had access to so much. How has your life changed the last thirty or forty years, as far as the way Holly, Hollywood is? New, new, new faces. That's it. Really? New faces. Yeah. The party hasn't new changed faces. that much, especially after Me Too. No, not, not really. Hmm. Not really. I mean, I, I still go out. I still go out. Still hanging out with with hotties. You know? Why right. not? I no, mean, absolutely. I completely agree with you. And you know, I got I got a couple of movies lined up for when this Corona thing ends, and you know, I'll just keep going. So I got I got to talk about your work in special effects because, again, Swamp Thing, Swamp Thing itself, the the costumes and then the monsters in that movie, absolutely loved them. The robots in Chopping Mall and then Death Stalker, and you know, it, I could go on and on and on. So. And and you've done some pretty innovative stuff with special effects. So, what is your appeal in in bringing special effects to a movie and using them in storytelling? If it helps the movie, great. And if I can get it done cheap enough, great. But I'm I'm not a big CGI fan anymore. Although I've made a few CGI movies, I'm I could live without ever doing another one. Really? So yeah, I don't like it. I think it's it's been done. I just watched the trailer for fucking King Kong versus Godzilla. Right. New, sort of a, it looks awful. <laughs> another dest- another destroyed city, and you know CGI monsters. And I just said, you know, been there, done that. And so 
So, you know, I, I'm looking for the next big thing. Yeah, see, one of my one of my and favorite I, one of my favorite movies in the last few years is, a, and I don't know if you've seen it. It's a movie called Dave Made a Maze. Have you seen this movie? No. Uh, no so, so it it is all done with practical effects. Um, it's about this man who's trapped in a in a cardboard maze that he created, and 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 these people have to go in and get him, and it's lar- a lot larger than it appears on the outside, and there's tons of like creatures that are made of cardboard. They actually have a cardboard minotaur. And it was all made with practical effects. And in terms for me, you know, practical effects is way more appealing to me than the computer generated stuff that you, that you see today, especially if you watch a movie like that and see what can be done with it. It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. And just like movies with Swamp Thing and Chopping Mall and stuff like that, you, you miss, you well, miss so, that now. Uh, I, 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 was, I, I started work before CGI. And so I get a bunch of movies that don't have CGI. But you know, I still had optical effects and, um, I don't mind, I don't mind optical effects. I don't mind CGI if if it, if it works for the movie, but I'm feeling kind of like I've, I can't outdo what Hollywood can do because they can throw money at a project like, like Justice League. They can throw money at it all day long and it still stinks. And, so I'm not a big CGI fan unless it, I can, you know, use it to my good advantage. Um, in the last couple of years, I I changed tactics and and started making family movies mm-hmm. because that's what the public wanted. And so you know, you can make a horror film these days, but it ends up in a ten pack in Walmart, in a, in a barrel, okay? Right. And I'm, nobody nobody wants to be with 10 other films in a $5 DVD package in Walmart, in a barrel. And I said, I'm not going to do that anymore. So I started making family films, because that's what I, I looked at the market, and I said, well, what's still selling? DVDs are almost dead. But the only DVDs that are not dead are family movies. They're still sold in a lot of these, you know, Walmart, Best Buys, et cetera, et cetera, because kids need babysitters and babysitter family films are, are popular. And so I started making my little, you know, doggone movie. And, so you, uh, they've been very fun. Yes. You've done a doggone Christmas. You've done the other doggone films. I'm curious how you approach a family movie opposed to a science fiction film, whether that be, you know, the busty co-eds versus busty cheerleaders or. Story, 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 story. It's all about the story. Yeah. Right. My doggone movies, which I'm sure none of you have seen, are aimed, they're aimed at kids, but I throw in a lot of adult humor. Right. A A lot of adult humor. That that will play well with their parents. And it's, it, it's not, it's not, you know, salacious or anything like that, but it's, it's like watching a Warner Brothers cartoon where, you know, the kids can enjoy it on one level and the adults can enjoy it on another. So that's why I attribute my success with those three doggone movies. And I made a movie called Nessie and me about, um, the Loch Ness Monster that right. quite, and then Redbox bought that for a lot of money. 
So I was happy. I said, okay, I'm still selling. So that's good. I got, I got a couple of horror things coming up after COVID and you know, we'll see what happens. Okay. So uh, but, you know, I'm sorry. Right, go ahead. I, I'm sorry, James. I thought James was about to say Just, something. Go, go but, ahead. Change the subject. I don't care. <laughs> well, I'm curious because we we were friends. Yeah, with, I, yeah, I, I, I fucked her. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing my ass off. I want to ask those questions, but I'm not going to. I'm trying to actually be as as nice. As I do it every. I do it every about 15 minutes, so people can you know, you know, <laughs> listen up. Okay. Let's talk about something that you and I both love because I know I followed you on Facebook. Used cars. Big, big fucking tits, right? <laughs> yep. Let's blow the shit out of them. Let's blow the shit out of high prices. Used cars. Okay, well, You've posted a yeah, lot of quotes and things from used cars over the and I just it's one of those movies that I introduce people to that they don't know and you and 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 I just, you've posted a lot about it, and I just wanted to ask you if you loved it as, I, I'm assuming you loved it as much as I did. It's one of the funniest films ever made. Yep. And it's, it's, it's one of the films I wish I had made. Right. Okay? And, I can, and, and Zemeckis did an incredible job with it. Okay? Yep. And, and he's never done better. Agreed. You never done anything better. Not that movie, that movie, that movie just wipes you out. And I remember seeing that movie in a in a screening before it came out, and I was howling. I was sitting sitting right behind Dick Miller. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we know who Dick Miller is. He's in Chopping Mall. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was, and he's in Venus Cars. Oh yeah, As, and, and Gary and Garrett Graham is in Used Cars. I I worked with him a couple of times. Yeah, Used he's in, he's anyway. Used Cars, you know, Cars is a is a big, you know, um, I'm a big fan of that movie. I am too, sir. I actually have the one sheet. And it's in my basement. I collect one sheet movie posters for many many years. And no, really, I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have guessed. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't blame you. <laughs> Go ahead and make all the smart-ass comments. They're all true in my basement. But I have had sex with a woman. I actually have a toddler, so we're going with that. Well, she says well, he's mine. Yeah, you, you, you fucked her. That's good. That's yeah. good. Well, she says he's mine, so we haven't got the DNA back. So, But anyway, making a joke to my wife is going to be pissed when she – well, she never listens to these things. That's okay anyway. Do they ever? Come on. <laughs> So you can admit to fucking ten other women, and and if it's on a podcast, they're not going to listen. Oh, okay? of course not. Of course these not. Are strictly, strictly these these play only in basements. Okay, <laughs> right. But why did you not? I'm, I'm home. I'm I'm forced to be home today, so I'm I'm talking my ass off here. But no one's going to hear this except a bunch of guys in basements. <laughs> well, we have a few women that follow us. If it makes you feel better, there's a, there are a few women who do follow us. But I do have another question, and it's going to be, why did you not jump to Hollywood? Because I don't give me about the lack of opportunity. I think you have plenty of opportunity. Is it just about the Why control? didn't I what? Why did you not move on to big-budget films? Is it the lack of control that you didn't want to give up? Because I think you have plenty nope. of opportunity nobody, to do that. Nobody, nobody ever asked. Really? I have a hard time believing that, sir. 
because you 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 had a really good career in the eighties, and I was one. And because some of those films were so successful, I would imagine they would have come calling one after another. Nobody ever asked. Really? Okay. Nobody ever, and it's okay with me. Yeah, because I've made a lot of money over the course of the years, and I, I'm very happy with my filmography. Um, I can look back and only wince at a couple of titles. <laughs> are you going to tell us what those are? Uh, yeah, I could tell you. Um, I was unhappy with uh, Vampirella. Oh. Totally unhappy. I was forced to hire Talisa Soto, who I thought was wrong for the part. Nice lady, but still was wrong for the part. And they, they cheated me on effects. And they cheated yeah. me on almost everything in that film. And um, it was very hard to deal with. So that, I, that was, is one of them. Another one is uh, a film I made, I think, in 2004 called The Thing Below, which was made in Canada. And um, the producers screwed me on that one, too. But, you know, for the most part, I've had a, I've had a, a good time making movies, and I'm usually happy with the end product. Good. You know, some of these movies I won't watch again for a while, but if it, you know, when it comes comes around, I get people like you calling me all the time about different titles. Yeah, they want to want me to discuss a title, and and you know, I have to go back and watch it again so I can remember all the crap that happened. <laughs> well, you've done so much. I mean, I, I, I wanted to ask earlier your best Corman story, but I felt like you'd been asked that 5,000 times. We've had the pleasure of meeting Roger, and but I still feel that you had so much time with him. And I know he's a perfectionist or can be. And I was just wondering, do you want to talk about your best Corman story? I have, I have a, a, I can tell you a quick one. I was making Lost Corman, uh-huh. which was a remake of his movie. Right. in the 50s. Right. And, and I had asked the art department to make a doorway between one set and the other. And I said, I definitely need a door here. You know, it doesn't have to be special. It just has to be a doorway so people can walk from one set to the other. And of course, they didn't do it. <laughs> I got right. there the next morning ready to film and there was no door. And I asked them, where's my door? And they said, we, we can't do it. And I said, oh, okay. And I went over to a fire axe <laughs> that was next to the, you know, next to one of the, 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 the exit doors. Right. And I took the fire axe and I came back and I started chopping away at the set. And I was angry. And I just started whacking away at the set. And... I I chopped the door, uh, at least a hole in between the sets. And at one point, I turned around, and Roger was standing right behind behind me. And he was <laughs> smiling. Okay, he was smiling because I was doing something that he probably would have done himself. Okay. Yeah. But I, I I I know I was destroying his set, but. You should have seen how people scrambled to get me a door. <laughs> they got me that door. It took them a half an hour, but they built the door where it, where it had to be. 
And so that's a Roger Corman story. Another one was when I uh, I was working when I was working before I directed anything. I the first thing, the time I ever directed anything was on a movie called um, Island of the Fishmen. Right. Okay. Yeah. And Island of the Fishmen was a film that Roger had bought, and it was an Italian monster flick set in the 1880s based on a Jules Verne story. And he retitled it Something Waits in the Dark. And I, this is when I first started working for him and I was, uh, I was doing all this publicity. Mm-hmm. And, and <laughs> anyway, I kept trying to tell him that it wasn't a good title and I didn't think it was going to do well because it was so much slasher film competition. And he says, this is what I want. Something waits in the dark. Make the poster look like humanoids in the deep. So I did. Color poster, big nice poster. And it, it went out and died. Okay? Right. Roger was very upset and he was angry. Not at me, but angry that the film didn't do well. And he said, just make another poster, do something with it. And I, when I was a kid, I had an album of horror stories. And it was, one of them was about a guy turned inside out. And I said, and I, and Scanners was big at the time. So I renamed, renamed this film Screamers. Yep. And you heard the story? I'll stop if you heard the no, story. No, no, I'm loving it. I'm enjoying it. No, I've not heard the story. I just know what you're talking about. Keep going, please. Yeah, so anyway, I changed the title from Island of the Fishmen became Screamers. Their men turned inside out, and worse, they're still alive. <laughs> and I went down on a weekend to the stage where they were shooting Galaxy of Terror. And I hired my then-girlfriend to run around this laboratory set that was set on a spaceship in her bra and panties being chased by an inside-out man, which was created for me by Rob Bopine on a, on a moment's notice. Rob Bopine and Chris Whalers, I think. Right. And so we, we did it. We, we shot all this new footage of, a, of an inside-out man chasing a hot chick in a sci-fi atmosphere. And I cut it together. And I didn't use a frame footage from from the movie. Right. It was it was not. I, it was just all new. And they 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 tested the movie again two weeks later in uh, in Georgia somewhere again. And I said, well, hopefully it'll do well. Anyway, I get a call Saturday morning at seven a.m from Roger Corner. He says, Jim, what did you put in that ad for that movie Screamers? And I told him the story I just told you. He says, is any of that footage in the movie? And I thought, okay, I'm fired. (laughs) I said, well, no, it's not. And I said, he says, well, we're going to have to put it in the movie. Get your car and come down Get, come down to the studio right now. And I said, am I fired? He said, absolutely not. You turned the movie from a, from a, a loser to a hit. 
which I did. I got people to come in the front door. Okay. Apparently they one of the they tried to lynch the manager in a drive-in and <laughs> tore speakers out somewhere in Georgia. And I went down, met with Roger. He was pleased that he had made money with a with a film that had two weeks before lost everything. Right. And there's a scene in the third reel where this guy is running around this pagan island into a straw, a house made of straw, looking for his girlfriend, which I think was Barbara Bach. And he's going, Sylvia, Sylvia. And he's opening doors and slamming them, looking for Sylvia. And Roger goes, there, right there. When he opens that door, we're going to cut to all your footage. <laughs> So they took the minute and a half of footage that, that I had shot and they made a, a, a 25 prints of it and they hand cut it in to each third reel of the picture. And so it was actually hand sliced in. So the guy opens the door, he goes, Sylvia, and then we cut to what he sees, supposedly sees, and it's all this footage of his that I shot about the, with the girl being turned inside out. Then he slams the door and moves on as <laughs> if yeah, that's that she's not in there. <laughs> so anyway, I, I, it was the first time I yelled action and cut. That's awesome. And, Amazing. And it got me going, got me thinking, got me, got me a little hot. For our viewers, uh, Rob Botine, and I think most of them should know, did the special effects for The Thing, uh, The Howling, and Chris Wallace was with the fame. Right, right, for the Gremlins. And, you know, he made the Gremlins in the original Gremlins film. So, sorry, I just wanted to make sure our viewers knew who these people were. Well, I I had worked with Rob um, in 1979 on a a TV pilot. Which pilot? This is before, yeah, before he was famous. Yeah, which um, it was at Herbert B. Leonard again. Before I went on 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 uh, on my trip to uh, you know Georgia for uh, breaking away, he yeah. produced sci-fi a sci-fi pilot uh-huh. called Starstruck. Okay. Okay. And I kept telling him repeatedly not to do it. Repeatedly, I said, "Don't make this. It's a, a Star Wars ripoff, and will not sell." And he said, you know, he's going to make it. He's going to make it. Um, and it died. Died horribly. But I brought in people like Chris Wallace and Rob Bottin to do all the masks and the robot suits and everything else. And so I knew them. And so when I, when I was desperate for a man inside out, I called them and they, they came down and showed up on a sun, uh, Saturday or Sunday, I don't remember which, and they showed, they made an inside out man for me. So, and of course, James Cameron, James Cameron had designed all the spaceship set. Right. So it, was, it looked pretty good. It looked pretty good. It did. So how did you, do you talk to, um, and, and this isn't because I know that uh, Rob has kind of disappeared in the last few years. Do you still keep contact? No, I haven't seen him in, 20 years yeah 
Yeah, he's kind of disappeared. I guess he made some money in real estate, and he doesn't really do interviews or talks about anything anymore. Chris Wayless is still around, still doing, still working, but Rob Bottin's kind of disappeared. Well, yeah, he was a, he was a, a, a quiet guy to begin with, so. Okay. Um, but he was a nice. He was a very nice guy. We got along very well. Yeah. Well, he definitely influenced, I mean, generations, generations of people making effects. Yep. He was very good at it. Yeah. And I, I, like, I loved working with him. By the way, you can see Starstruck on YouTube. Oh, really? I need to check it out. I will be I checking check it, it out. out. Absolutely. A friend of mine who worked on the show kept a three-quarter inch tape of the pilot. <laughs> And I don't know, about three or four years ago, he put it on YouTube. I have to check that out. I've got to see it. That's cool. Look starstruck. You'll, you'll find it. You, uh, you mentioned um, remaking Roger Corman's Wasp Woman. Uh, has there ever been any conversations about anybody remaking something that you did? Any conversations about a remake of Chopping Mall, anything like that? Yeah, I, I own part. I, I own a piece of it. So if they want to make a part, a piece of shopping mall, I'm I'm open to get, taking in a million bucks. Okay, <laughs> I'll let that so they can go fuck themselves. Okay, because <laughs> people have come up, come come and said they were going to remake shopping mall, but it ain't going to be made without um, me getting a little back end. Right. Yeah. So do you have the and same? Content. Right. John Carpenter has kind of the same, uh, maybe the philosophy about it that you do, obviously, is that it's fine if they do remakes. It's, he loves it because he gets a check for doing nothing. That's it. Well, here the, the bottom line is uh, you can't remake Chopping Mall. Right. You can't. You can try. Some guy wanted to make it with ghosts. And and he was advertising it. I, I, I put a stop to that instantly. So, so do you think you could update it or is it just an idea that it was of its time because malls aren't exactly I'm working, I'm working, I'm working, I'm working on an update right now. Okay. Oh, wow. Well, good. Good for you. I do, I'm, I do taking, I'm using, I'm using 24 as my guideline. Oh, okay. <laughs> That sounds interesting. Imagine, imagine this, okay? Uh-huh. Um, the clock starts ticking at 7 p.m. Right. Okay? Yep. On the evening where they're going to reintroduce robot to the mall. Uh-huh. And Kelly Maroney and Tony O'Dell are there to protest. Uh-huh. And their doors don't open till seven in the morning. Yeah. So between and my 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 show, which is Chopping Mall the series, it's uh -huh. twelve episodes going from seven PM to seven AM. With That'd the doors cool. being locked up with the doors being locked up at nine PM. Have you pitched and to Kelly? Yes. Tony, I've, I've talked to Kelly and Tony about it. The reason I ask is that we have Kelly scheduled in June. So I want to ask her about it when I have her on the show, but I didn't want to ask without your permission. Well, you can ask her about it. Yeah. 
Okay, thank you. I, I was going to shoot a, I was going to shoot a promo for it, but COVID came came along. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, COVID's kind of ruined a lot of our lives, so we completely understand that. We had Robert Kurtzman. He's famous for KMB Effects. I'm, I'm assuming you know who he is. A few weeks ago, and yeah, he's I, do, I know. Yeah, he's just shut. It's just shut down. Everything is just shut the fuck down. So it's tough for everybody. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sitting, that's why I'm sitting here by the pool, kicking back. But drinking a little, drinking a little wine. I was about to ask you because I've been drinking Kentucky bourbon while we've been talking about this. Only difference between you and I, sir, is that you're in sunny California and I'm in Lexington, Kentucky, and it's not so sunny. But I do have the bourbon, and you, but you have the pool, so you won at this game of life. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Um, I'm sorry. So there you go. Yeah, Chad, All right, I, gentlemen, we got eight minutes. Yep. Okay. All right, we'll finish right up. Chad, you have one more question? Yeah, I'm just kind of curious. You know, I'm going to do one of those what's it like to work with questions because I, I noticed in your recent filmography, you've been casting Michael Matson in a lot of your projects. So, yeah. And he's, he, you know, he has a history. And I was just kind of curious, you know, what's it like working with Mike, Michael Matson? I love Mike. I love Mike. He's, he's an ornery son of a bitch, but <laughs> yeah, we can see that. He knows his line. He gets. He gets. He's, 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 if you fuck around, he gets irritable. Okay. Okay. But when, when you yell action, he gives you one hundred and ten percent. Okay, one hundred and ten. And if he knows, if he likes you. And I know I get along with him well. I've done four movies with him. Right. He'll just, he'll just call you out of the blue and just chat you up. And so Mike's a great guy. I have nothing but great stuff to say about Mike. That's awesome. Yeah. So before I, we you know, go. Most of the actors I work with, most of them are great. I, and I work with some, some, of the, some classics over the years. Okay. Right. And I, there's only a, a small, you know, one hand. I can count on one hand the creeps. Okay. Yeah, I think I saw. your Don Swamping? Awful, awful guy. <laughs> I hate to speak ill of the dead, but he was a creep. Right. From a long line of French creeps. Okay. Yep. And uh, who else? Tanya Roberts made one film with her. That was it. I'll never do another film with Tanya. Yep. And and who else do I hate? Uh, I Heather Locklear. I mean, not Heather Locklear. Don't say Morgan Fairchild. Morgan Fairchild was great. Morgan uh, Fairchild was great. Morgan Fairchild. She was a sweetheart. New in lines. Gave me no problems. Okay? There was right. a, there's only been a couple. Who's that girl from fucking... Uh, uh, I forgot her name. I, I try to block these people out of my mind. Uh, <laughs> she was a wasp woman. She was in uh, the Which one? Wasp woman. Um, wasp woman. I forgot her name. That's a she was the point. star of wasp woman. Well, I get asked and, a lot. And, I'm with you, though. Anyway, but... I... Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I get asked a lot because I do a lot of moderating for a lot of these conventions and I always, people will say about celebrities and I say celebrities are like any other group of people. 90% of them are fantastic, not an issue. 
you know, you ask them what you want to talk about, what you don't want to talk about, and then 10% are assholes, just like any other group of people. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's why, you know, if, if, if someone rubs me the wrong way, I, I, uh, I, I, I call it, you know, I say, this is going to be it. Yep. And if, if, but if I like working with them, hell, man, I'll, I'll bring them back many times. Absolutely. I've, you know, I've, I've had Kelly Maroney in a, in a bunch of movies. I've had Barbara Cranston's done a couple for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rocky DeMarco. You know, I think she's done 15 or 20 of my movies. Rocky's been a lot of your movies. Yeah, Rocky. That Rocky's one of those questions where did you did you fuck her or not? But I'm not going to ask it. <laughs> Moving right along. Moving okay. right along. I know. I know. I'm sorry. I had to throw in one joke. Sorry, Jim. Well, before okay. we go, what tell us what's coming out or what's coming up so we, that we can plug it for you. We always try to do this for a guest. We always like to let our audience know what they could be looking forward to. So do you want to talk well, about I, it? You know, we could buy some movies and put some money in my pocket, okay? Right. <laughs> Watch Return to Swamp Thing mm-hmm. on Amazon Prime. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, yeah, I don't get any money off that. I uh, know. Oh, okay. <laughs> Okay, so doggone movies on Tubi. I will definitely try to introduce those to my three-year-old in the next few days. Uh, and, and, wa- and watch one of them. Now, there's stuff in there you're going to like. I will watch try to. Doggone, watch doggone um, uh, Hollywood. I'm just letting watch you know doggone. it's sometimes hard for me to go, I've got to show this kid's movie to the guy who's famous for saying breasts are, and I'm going to screw it up about the special effects, about the exact quote. Well, I'm telling you, doggone, I, I make these, these are G-rated movies, but they're, some, of the, some of the stuff I put in them are right out of the shows and films you like. Okay. And I'll be, so, I'll be watching it with my, my four-year-old who loves uh, animal movies. So, yeah, I'm, we'll be showing her that now that I know they're on Tubi. And they are well, on Tubi, correct, sir? They're all on Tubi. 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 Excellent. They're all on Tubi. And um, anyway, bottom line is it's been fun talking with you guys. Um, and uh, I hope you have a good podcast out of this. And, we did. Uh, thank you, sir. We do. Thank we you. Do. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you so much for the entertainment. And we uh, have enjoyed this quite a bit. All right, man. Well, you have a good time tonight. And uh, I'll catch up with you on Facebook. Okay. All right. Sounds good, sir. Grrrr. <sighs>